but I'm standing in front of this huge painting, The Return of the Prodigal. Mm -hmm. And I'm standing and I'm looking at the painting. And God says to me at that moment, Tim, you need to be the father to your father. He is the prodigal and you need him to know that I love him in the words of Brendan Manning for who he is and not who he should be. And he needs to learn to do the same. Welcome everybody, this is Simon Gilbert with Inspired. It's great to be back with you. I've got another fantastic guest for you. For those of you that are new to Inspired, it's just about telling great stories, about encouraging each other amidst so much bad news out there. Inspiring stories of faith, of overcoming, of triumphing through, yeah, the various stuff that life throws at us. And today, I'm very excited to have with us Tim Sisserich. Welcome, Tim. Hey, thanks so much for having me, mate. It's great to be with you. It is great to have you. So Tim is a, a Kiwi, a New Zealander. He's living in Australia right now. He's the country director for Watoto. Watoto works with vulnerable women and children in Uganda and South Sudan. And uh, well, our connection is through my dad and Derek Prince Ministries. And he's, he, he, he listens to your stories. Like, he, he wrote to me and said, Simon, just get him on uh, his, <laughs> his fascinating story. So I'm just really looking forward to hear it. And let's just, yeah, let's, let's go for it, Tim. So go, let's go right back to your roots, your family background. Go for it. You know, actually, that's a, it's, it's really important. When I think about the way in which God tells the story of the Bible, it's not just the good stories. Mm-hmm. You know, the, the people of Israel were called to go back and look at their history and say, hey, look, this good stuff happened, learn from that. But this bad stuff also happened, and guys learn from that as well. Mm-hmm. And um, and I guess that's the, that's the narrative that I've sort of wanted to take where my life is concerned. When I was young, we used to tell this amazing story that my grandfather came as an immigrant to New Zealand, and he worked hard, and he, he gave us these amazing opportunities. Um, but really, the, the reality was that our family story starts way back in 1801, when a young girl was banished from her family home, and she was told she couldn't pass on uh, the, the, the family's name to her child. You see, she'd got pregnant to a rich landowner, and um, and the and the parents said, look, you've just shamed our family. No one knows whether it was coerced or forced or was, it was consensual. But the landowner said, look, I'm married and I've got a great name and I can't have the, you soiling the family name. So this poor teenage girl um, was disowned by her family, disowned by the man that t- that put the baby inside her. Mm-hmm. And her family actually tied her to a tree in the land that he owned. And uh, she was left there to die. The one good thing that that man did is he he gave her the piece of land that she was tied to, and she and he said, "Go for it. That's your space." She was nicknamed Caesar, and Caesar was a derogatory name in that part of the world, and she named her son Cicerich. Rich is like the the Scottish Mac, so son of Caesar. Right, okay. So she was really saying to this boy, "No one loves you. I'm giving you the derogatory name. You've got no value. You are." Ante, son of Caesar, and that will be the mark on you for the rest of your life. Mm. And, you know, I find that quite a fascinating little, little, so she was hopeless, mate. She just had no concept of, of any hope. She, life was just bleak for her. Yet she raised that boy mm-hmm. and that boy then went on to pull a bit of a life together for himself. And then seven generations later, I'm sitting here now helping women and children on the other side of the world. Mm. I am a son of that woman. And, and the reality is that if we don't look back at our past and realize the journey that, that, that your family has come on, that you have come on, we oftentimes don't understand the wounds and the pain and the struggle that we have. And I share that story because it's, it's in discovering the rejection that she had 
the rejection that her son had, that I actually realized that the Sisterich family has this legacy of rejection upon them. There's mm. a hopelessness that is, that is infused in our family's DNA. Now, my dad, uh, he became a Christian just before I was born. And so he, you know, he, he stepped in to help change that narrative. But there were some aspects to his life, and I'll unpack that in a second, but there were aspects to his life that he never talked about publicly. And that shame and that hopelessness continued on. And he passed that on to me and he passed it on to my brothers and sisters. And, and so I grew up feeling like I was also rejected, that I was also unwanted. I was the youngest child of five. I thought by the time my parents had me, they were sort of over having kids around and, and I was just in the way. So I grew up with that same mindset that the son of Sisa had, that no one wanted me, that I was unwanted, mm -hmm. uh, that I was just another unwanted child of Sisa. And it wasn't until I realized that actually God loves me and that I have a real point and a purpose that I was able to discover, you know what? All of that stuff speaks into who I am. It shapes who I am. And God wants me to use that for his glory and for my hope. Yeah. So that's a really quick summary of the story of the Sisterich family. But Simon, it's interesting because, as I said, I'm the youngest of five kids. Mm -hmm. And my father was this incredibly bright man. He was destined to be uh, sort of the golden child of the Sisterich family. His parents had him through a, the best boarding school that they could get him into. Um, and you can imagine as immigrant parents, they sacrificed a lot for that. Mm -hmm. They got him into law school, huge sacrifice. They paid for him to get into a fantastic law firm. So he was set up. I mean, really and truly set up. Yet he struggled with this fact that he was this hopelessness, this rejection, this, I need people to see that I'm something special. And as a result, he started trying to live a life that he couldn't afford. So mm -hmm. he started gambling to try and, you know, live up to and create a, an image. And then when that wasn't working out, he started embezzling money from his law firm. Mm -hmm. And long story short, he embezzled the equivalent of around about uh, 5 million New Zealand dollars uh, and he went through three tax audits, which I think is pretty amazing. And finally, he gave himself up because of the stress. So mm. a very clever man. But 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 here, here was this guy who was trying to create a life and a world that because he couldn't just accept that he was special in the way that God had made him. He ended up going to prison for embezzlement. And while he was in prison, an elderly lady, she uh, saw his story in the newspaper obviously a story that big made a lot of news. Mm -hmm. And she, she saw his story in the newspaper and she wrote him a letter and she said, my dad's name is Warren. She said, Warren, I've seen your story and you need to know Jesus. And he said, thanks very much. I'm a Catholic. I'm fine. Mm -hmm. You know, but thanks very much for writing. She wrote back and said, uh, that's fantastic. You're a Catholic, but you still need to know Jesus. She wasn't challenging the Catholics, but she recognized that here was a man who had grown up in nine, seven generations of the Catholic Church, and, and he was Catholic by name and had no concept of what that meant. Yeah. He, he went through this process of this woman writing him letters. So he got to a point where he said, okay, God, if you are for real, if, if, if this, what this old lady is saying to me is true, you need to show yourself. And that night in his prison cell, he had a physical manifestation of Jesus. He says wow. his prison cell lit up and Jesus appeared to him and mm -hmm. called him by name. And it transformed his life so much that while he was in prison, 
the prison guards would give him the keys to the front gate of the prison. He would take a group of men across the street to a chapel across the road and they would do church. As a result, that particular prison started the the world's first faith-based prison unit. And it was based on his the impact that God had on him and a prophecy that, that God said through that old lady that God would do something through the prison system in New Zealand. So it's a profound story. Incredible, right? yeah. And as a result, he came out of prison early. They, they cut his sentence in half because of good behavior. Uh, when he came out of prison, he was this, here's this guy who obviously incredibly intelligent, really articulate. So he got picked up by the likes of prison fellowship and full gospel businessmen and, and every other thing that was going on saying, can you come and speak and tell your story? And so that's where I entered into the scene. I was mm. the first child born into uh, a Christian family. And for me, that style of Christianity was all I knew. It was God moves in these incredible ways. My dad had this great story. In fact, God gave him a gift of prophecy and he got involved in deliverance ministry, which I thought was normal. I thought all of that kind of activity was normal. Mm-hmm. Um, I thought every Christian home had that. So that's what was going on in my life as I grew up. So just on the deliverance stuff, because a lot of people listening to this are from a, a Western secular materialistic context and won't have any experience of it or just seen the exorcist or something um, mm-hmm. without, you know, stereotyping too much, you know, what are the sort of experiences that you were exposed to that were your normal? You know, that's a great question. And, and that's why I'm sensitive when I, when I say, you know, I thought it was, it was normal, but my dad would be able to speak to someone. And, and I suppose the simplest way to put it is he had a, a, a where God would speak through him and identify what was going on in the person's life. Mm-hmm. And he would be able to en- engage at a, I suppose, at a spiritual level. So when I grew up, it wasn't unusual for me to, uh, to see dad praying with people and then there to be spiritual manifestations mm-hmm. where, you would, where you would see people writhing on the floor like a snake or speaking in voices that weren't their own. Mm-hmm. My dad relates one story to me that um, a man was asked to be paid to commit a murder and he came to dad and told dad, look, I've been paid, uh, offered money to commit a murder, but I, I don't want to do it. And dad says he prayed for this man and the man went for him for his throat. Now, this is a guy who's, who obviously is recognized as a killer. Mm-hmm. And he went for my dad's throat and he got three inches from his throat. And he couldn't get any further. And wow. through prayer, the man ended up on the floor, uh, had a physical manifestation of something coming out of him, a, a demonic spirit. And then yeah. he got up and he looked at dad and said, when you started praying for me, I left my body and went into the corner of the room and I could see the demon inside me trying to kill you, but yeah. it couldn't get past the angel that was standing in front of you. Yeah. So, and look, I know there are a lot of people skeptical about this sort of thing. All I can do is say, that's what I saw growing up. And that was my normal. Mm, yeah. Well, I mean, it's interesting. I'm, I'm jumping on the plane tomorrow to go back to Burundi. And a few months ago when I was there, I was, I was preaching and uh, suddenly a shoe <laughs> flew past my ear. And, and then a second shoe flew past the other ear. And this woman, uh, lich, it was just at the point in a few hours service, it was the point where I was appealing and talking about the cross and the blood of Jesus. And that was when the demons in her 
manifested and she said i've got to we've got to stop this meeting and what was beautiful was that wow. she, was le- she was led behind the stage she was prayed for her name's Teresa. we're journeying with her in discipleship now she's and she said you know in the interview four days later where we followed up with her she said you know that's the, the demons have told me to go and disturb the meeting and i do like sharing those, those stories sometimes on this podcast because uh, mm. We have a serious blind spot in the Western world in general. And um, we think that what how we see reality is reality. And there's so much more going on than meets the eye. And that's why I think often the African brothers and sisters, not just them, but uh, different cultures have got a lot to teach us. Uh, and we need humility in terms of thinking that our worldview is the best worldview or the only worldview, in, in fact. Anyway, back to your story. Keep going. Well, I mean, actually, that's a, that, that point that you raise is a really good one about the fact that we do have a particular worldview and that does shape us. Mm. Um, and actually, for me, that was what was shaping my worldview, that this, that this faith that we were called to live out was filled with uh, a huge amount of spiritual expression. Mm-hmm. And when I was four years old, Simon, I said to my parents, I want you to pray for me. I want to have the gift of tongues and I want to have dad's, the gift that God has given dad of prophecy. Mm. I knew what I was asking for. And I believe, Simon, that God gave me both those things. Mm. Um, so as a child, I had a very real understanding of what it meant to be a Christian. Again, I had this father who had the most incredible story, and I had a mum who had the most beautiful, simple faith. And, uh, you know, but, but the challenge for me here, and I suppose this is the crux of my story where it kind of fuses and, and going back to what I talked about, how I struggled with the sense of, identity and feeling of rejection and hopelessness is that my father, who was this incredible man that people would say, oh my gosh, you are Warren Sisserich's son. We would see a man at home who grappled with the most furious anger, who mm-hmm. who seemed to have uh, a lack and ability to connect with us as his children in lots and lots of ways. Right. And you know, so we saw on the one hand this man of God who could cast demons out of people, yet when we saw him at home, he looked like he needed demons cast out of himself. Mm. And there was a, an incredible tension for a young person, a, a young child who also believed that God was, that God is, that, that God wanted to use me. And I and I definitely started to, to, to understand what it meant to have this, this gift of prophecy, to be able to speak into situations. And so I, I understood that, but I had this kind of, it was just a, the complexity of, of what was going on. And then what my dad didn't tell people is that that rejection that he had lived within him. So he talked about all the other things that had happened to him, the tell a great story at full gospel businessman conferences or, or, or prison fellowship conferences. Mm. He told all that, but he never said, look, guys, I still feel useless. I yeah. still feel everyone looks down on me because I've got a prison record or because of, and, and somebody paid back every cent that he stole. He invested his entire life on trying to live a life that reflected restitution for what he mm-hmm. had done, but it still wasn't enough for him to actually, to realize that he was hope filled, that he had been given a new lease of life. And as a result, he would go and secretly drink. And when he drank, he would, he would end up with women. And he had a string of affairs through his entire life. Mm. Now, I never knew about this uh, until a, a, a New Zealand prophet was speaking to me about something. I said, I said to him, can you just, there's something that's blocking my life. I feel like it's in the way. Can you speak into it? And he said, something happened in your life when you were nine years old 
when you were living in Fiji. I used to live in Fiji. And I thought back to this moment and instantly I realized this woman came to our house and said, I've been having an affair with your dad, came to the door, I was there, been having an affair with your dad, it's over now, I just want you to tell your mum. Right. And, and I'd said to, the next day I said, Dad, this is weird, this lady. And he said, oh, it's not true, Tim. And at nine, I knew he was lying to me. Right. I just, just knew it, that kind of the, the prophetic kind of growing inside me. But I was nine and I didn't know how to articulate it. Mm-hmm. So this man lived his whole life with the secret hopelessness in his heart mm-hmm. on the one hand. Yet on the other hand, God was still using him, Simon. I don't know how that works, but God was using him. Yeah. He's led more people to the Lord than anybody I know. Wow. And so there's this grappling and this tension that was, that was going on in my life when I was looking at this man. So when this guy gave me this prophetic word when I was in my 20s, I spoke to my parents about it. I said, Mum, this guy spoke this word to me. I remembered back at this incident when I was a child. And, and yet when I asked that about it, he said it wasn't true. And in that instant, I saw in my mum's eyes that she had been harboring a secret. She had been harboring a secret that her husband had been living this way because she didn't want her kids to disrespect him. Mm. He had been living with a whole lot of secrets because he didn't want his wife to stop loving him because of this need to feel loved and worthy and validated. And so what I discovered at this time was that my father, who was this great man of God on the one hand, because he never held on and looked at his past for what it was, he was never able to identify these issues that were holding him down like weights. And yeah. they were the ones that actually were derailing him. Mm. And so, you know, there's a great Jewish proverb, and um, you, you need to know where you've come from. Before you know who you are and before you know where you're going, you must know where you've come from. Mm. And you know what, Simon, it was was a challenging journey for me as a kid because, again, I struggled for my identity. But in in the discovery of my dad's journey and realizing how much that was tied to my own story and my own narrative, it allowed me to look back a step at his father and back a step and back a step until I find uh, Sisa, the, the mother of the Sisarich family, and her story. And it showed me that this hopelessness, the struggle for identity, is infused into the DNA of the Sisarich family. Whether we like it or not, whether we try and hide from it or not, it is part of who we are. Mm. So one of the biggest struggles I had as I became an adult was I looked at my dad, who was supposedly this this great man who caused so much pain to my mum and to us as his kids Mm -hmm. and trying to reconcile that in light of what it means to be a Christian. And, and I think that's probably where I'd have to say a Christian in the Western Western view of things. And so I, I grappled with that for many years because again, there's no denying the power of God through this man's life. Mm -hmm. But there's also no denying the tragedy that he had caused in his humanity. Mm. And and so one of the things, Simon, that that, that caused me to do was it caused a huge amount of confusion. Am I angry with him? Do I love him and respect him? What do I do with this man? Because on the one hand, he is this incredible man. And on the other, he's just caused me such pain and heartache. Yeah. And God in his grace, I have to say, uh, allowed me actually to unpack this story through a documentary that I had the privilege of making when I was working with Focus on the Family. 
The documentary was called Irreplaceable, and the and the documentary was designed to try and tell the world if you live a Western Christian life, and I don't mean any disrespect to focus on the family when I say this, but if you live that American Christian way, you will have a healthy family. But I was thinking, my dad didn't live that way. In fact, the Bible says, train up a child in the way he should go, and when he's old, he won't depart from it. And and I've seen, working at Focus on the Family, a ton of kids who have gone off the rails and not come back. Yeah. And so how does that verse work? So while I was making this documentary, I got to travel the world, and I got to engage with a whole lot of different cultures and a whole lot of different wisdom. And I remember asking a rabbi, actually, when we were making this documentary, about that very verse, about training up a child in the way that they should go, and when they're old, they won't depart from it. And I I don't know if this is true, because I'm not a theologian, but he said to me, Tim, you guys have got that all wrong. Actually, what that means in the original language is train up a child in their natural gifts and talents, and when they're old, they will know who they are, and they won't be swayed. And I thought that was a profound and powerful interpretation of that verse. It suddenly helped me realize that part of the reason I was struggling, part of the reason my dad struggled and the whole Ciceroch line had this issue was because no one had told us and taught us who we were and Mm. allowed us to thrive in that which we were good with, but also acknowledge the, the things that we struggled with and be okay with that. And it started me on this interesting journey of self-discovery and the documentary, which was supposed to highlight American Western Christianity and the goodness around that actually became a story that was unpacking my own journey in relation to my own father. And so I, I realized that much of my life had been built around trying to find men who weren't duplicit in their, you know, duplicitous in their, in their uh, thinking and in their faith, that they were strong and, and pillars and men of God. But I discovered that we're all broken, that yeah. we've all got these faulty bits in us, but also at the same time, we've got these great strengths. And, and, and a lot of the time we disqualify ourselves because we think we're not good enough Christians mm-hmm. or that we're not we're not strong enough. We're not like that guy. Or look, I read this book and I'm never going to be that good. But actually, when we start to discover and unpack it, we find, look through the Bible. Look at these guys. You know, David was a friend of God. Abraham was a friend of God. Look at the mess that they made with parts of their journey. Yet God loved them. And he said, you're my friend. And so it's in that understanding that you start to unpack your story and your narrative. And you say, okay, So this stuff happened and shaped us. This caused us to start to think in a certain way. I felt it made me feel a certain way. It shaped the career that I went on. Mm -hmm. And God says, Tim, all things work together for the good of those who love the Lord and accord according to his purpose. All things, as as an old preacher taught me, all means all, and that's all all means. So all things work together for the good of those who love the Lord. So that means my dad's experiences we're working for his good. We're working for my mum's good. We're working for my good and therefore working for my children's good. And so they're in those things, in those moments of, of pain, God is creating learnings and he's creating opportunities to heal and opportunities to discover. At least that's what I'm starting to see. And so it enabled me this, this journey. Uh, actually, I remember sitting down with a, a Greek Orthodox priest and I said to him, can you tell me, tell me the steps to be a good father? <laughs> and he laughed. He says, that's the problem with you in the West. Yeah. For you, it's a journey. For us in the Greek, in the Greek space, he said, it's, it's a pilgrimage. It's not a straight line. Yeah. 
Mm. It's this, 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 our life is a discovery of the things that God has brought into the tapestry of that God is stitching together. We don't see it. We see the knots and the pain and, but God is looking down on the tapestry and he sees this beautiful picture. And so I suppose what I, the reason I, I tell the story of my, of my ancestor, Cesar, and I tell the story of my dad and the mess and all of that is because I realized that that is the shaping that God used when I was put into my part in history. All of that goes to shape who I am because that's what God needed to allow to happen in my life for me to discover where I fit in the journey. And, you know, Simon, I had this, as I said, this documentary I made allowed me to, to see some incredible things, to meet some amazing people. And I said to the producers, look, I want to go and see uh, Rembrandt's prodigal, Return of the Prodigal, which is in St. Petersburg in Russia. Mm-hmm. Rembrandt, my dad, he was uh, an antique dealer. He had, he had bought a painting that he thought might have been a Rembrandt. It wasn't. It was a fake. But, you know, like I so said, it had, like Rembrandt had, it was significant in my life and it had a tie into dad. And anyway, so I'm standing in front of this Rembrandt. We happened to be able to get into. Uh, the museum there before it opened. So I'm the only one in this this museum, which used to be a palace. And I'm standing there, camera crew behind me, just a couple of guys, but I'm standing in front of this huge painting, The Return of the Prodigal. Mm-hmm. And I'm standing and I'm looking at the painting. And the painting is this incredible picture. And I see as I'm standing there that God draws me into it and I see that he pulls me in and he says, I just need you to know that you're my prodigal, Tim. And I'm thinking, but but I've lived this great life as a Christian. I've, I've, I've worked in ministry. I've been a great father, a great husband, all these things. Mm-hmm. And God said, but you still are grappling with this hopelessness. Can you not understand? It's, it's, it's stopping you from thriving. Uh, and he pulls me in and, and this, I see him pulling me in like, like in the story of the, of the prodigal. And as, as I'm standing there pulled into the embrace of God, and I, I literally can feel it, I have the sense that I'm merging with the father and I look down and I'm holding my <laughs> I'm holding my own father and he's my prodigal and and I'm standing in front of this painting and, and you can, it's, it's, I feel a bit embarrassed. You can see the tears in my eyes in the documentary because this is what's actually happening. Mm. And God says to me at that moment, Tim, you need to be the father to your father. He is the prodigal and you need him to know that I love him in the words of Brendan Manning for who he is and not who he should be. And he needs to learn to do the same. And in that moment, I, I kind of, to be honest with you, Simon, I felt a bit cheated because this was my moment with God. You know, we were having this thing mm-hmm. and God stepped in and said, your story is, 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 is all tied together. And the story is about God, how God is kind of infused into history. And in the taking of that, realizing that my dad needed to know that he was loved, that he, was, that he gave hope and that he gave life. And in that moment, I was able to go and speak to him, actually. And our family has had this incredible, not because of me, because of God, but this amazing reconciliation. My mum and dad are still together, actually. Um, And, you know, dad's 82 and mum's 80 80 this year. And and they're still together despite all of that. Mm. Because God stepped into their narrative and allowed them to understand that that hopelessness that they felt that was, was, was something that Satan had blinded them from. Yeah. And he was using all these distractions of ministry and all these other things. But if we stop for a moment and look back at our story and realize where we have come from, and then we realize who we are, 
And that person, that who we are, that's the person, as Brenda Manning says, uh, God, that the one that God loves. Not for some, so the, the Christian we should be, the life we should be living, but for who we are today mm. in our hopelessness or in our joy or in our whatever it is that we're grappling with. And then you take that person and you walk forward. So you're in all your pain and frustration and joys and hopes and, and all of that. That's the one who moves forward into the world. And it's because of that that uh, I would say, if you were to ask me what my life's mission is, it's to, to help people thrive. Mm. And I believe that thriving comes from knowing who you are and you only know who you are when you look back and you are willing to engage and embrace the pain uh, and allow God to step in there and show where he fits in it. And, and I have to say, I ended up, um, Focus on the Family really encouraged me. I, I'm not necessarily a writer, but the Focus on the Family really encouraged me to, to, to turn my experience into a book, which became The Great Embrace. Mm-hmm. And, it, and it really talks about the fact that, that it's, it's, a tie, it's a tie into that story standing in front of uh, Rembrandt's The Return of the Prodigal, that great embrace, that when we're willing to let God embrace us, and, and, he really, and, we, and we allow ourselves to be to, in that place, in that hopelessness, if you look at the if you look at the painting, you see the prodigal returns. He's got one shoe on, one shoe's off, and he's like just he's a mess, you know. Um, but in that, God saw hope, and God saw a future, and, and God saw a purpose. And so, if we allow God to embrace us, we then learn to embrace ourselves mm-hmm. and learn to embrace others. And 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 I suppose isn't that what Christianity is all about? Christianity, yeah. when they when when those guys ask Jesus, "Hey, look, what's the greatest commandment?" Jesus turned to them and he said, the Shema, you know, it's, it's about God, one God, believe in God. And almost as an afterthought, he said, he goes, oh, and the other thing is, love other people like you love yourself. So God, Jesus says the greatest commandment is to love God, love others, love yourself. And if we can boil that down, that's Jesus saying the greatest commandment is to love. Hmm. And, you know, I asked a Franciscan monk, um, what that meant. You know, I, I like this. I like the answers. Just give me the steps. As I don't know if you're seeing it, but just give me the steps. Tell me, how, how do I love? Yeah. And he said to me, Tim, you've got to figure that out. That's what your life's journey is about. I said, well, just tell me, do I, do I love God first or do I love others first? Do I love mm-hmm. myself first? What do I do? <laughs> and he, he looked at me. I, it, was, it was an amazing experience, actually. He just looked at me and goes, Tim, which do you find the hardest? And it was in that moment I realized that actually I find it really hard to love myself. Mm. And I, I can love God. I can love others, but loving myself. And so it might be different for, for, for other people. But if I really want to thrive and I want to help my wife thrive and I want to help my kids thrive and my community thrive, I first need to learn how to thrive myself in God. And that is, I suppose, is sort of the... The journey—it's—it's not—it's not easy. It's—it's it's not something special. I'm—I'm—I'm I'm, I'm nobody special now in that sense. But I really just want to learn how to love myself and love others and love God. And if I can do that, I, you know, I think if we could just learn to love, a lot of the mess that we see in the world would be—I uh, know it's simplistic—but imagine if we all chose to love instead mm. of trying to build ourselves, or you know. And so imagine if imagine if that poor pregnant unmarried teen in 1801 realized that she was worthy of love even though she'd been banished by her family banished by the man who got her pregnant if she could understand that imagine a different narrative she would be able to invest into her son imagine the different narrative that the sisterich family would have and so i say this now i'm proud to be called a son of caesar Mm. and and i and i hope and pray one day i'll be able to stand in heaven with her and say to her 
you did something special, you just didn't realize it. And I think we all need to realize that, Simon, that, that, that God, is, God, God loves us and, and, he, and he just wants us to learn that same message. Yeah. Love, love, learn to love. Yeah. You said you're one of five. So I'm fascinated as in terms of, you know, breaking that generational cycle. Um, how's that mm. looked? Um, it's amazing. You know, um, I, I only briefly mentioned my mum in this narrative, um, but I, I have to say that she is this most incredible, simple uh, Christian. She believes in uh, prayer and she believes in just caring and loving people. Mm-hmm. And so mum, she said she prayed that God would uh, would raise up the young, young olive trees of our family and that we wouldn't live out the narrative of our father. That was her, mm-hmm. that's her daily prayer. Mm-hmm. And um, when I, when I was in my, um, in, in my mid teens, I, uh, I had a couple years young, like 14, 15, where I kind of thought, oh, I'm not, I'm sick of this Christian stuff. I'm going to do my own thing. But when I sort of came right about 16, my girlfriend, who's now my wife and I um, said, we got baptized and we said, okay, God, we will serve you wherever, however, whenever, whatever. And that's been the story of our life. And the word that God gave me is, Tim, I'm going to start with you and I'm going to work my way up in your family. And God did healing in the lives of my my brothers and sisters that way up the line. Um, And they are all um, amazing Christians in their own way um, today. Um, And and again, I mean, that's a tribute. I have to say to my mum, is mm-hmm. it, you know the, the the power of a praying mother is profound. Yeah. I don't understand that, mate. And again, I'm not a I'm not a theologian, so I don't understand if there's a mm. theological uh, uh, insight to that. But the power of a praying mum. Yeah, I'm um, a beneficiary just, myself of a praying mum. Very grateful. Yeah, it, it's incredible. In fact, actually, I'll tell you a little story about a praying mum. I when I was um, when I was 15 uh, and doing, going sort of doing going off the rails a little bit. My parents had this Bible study and this uh, elderly lady came along and, and mum was telling the story of one of her sons who was sort of off the rails and doing drugs and drinking and all sorts of stuff. And this elderly lady, she only knew of one son of my parents, which was me. And so she started praying for me. Nobody knew what, what I was doing. I did it all in secret. She was talking about my older brother, my mum, by the way. And this woman started praying for me. Um, about four years later, when I went to visit her with my girlfriend, she said, Tim, I've been praying for you. Tell me how your life has changed. That woman was my, my wife's grandmother and she had been praying for me. Isn't that amazing? But we weren't dating or anything like that, but God had spoken through this woman who was again, a mother in my life. And it was her, who her prayers that, you know, spoken to my situation too. So just incredible with it. With, but so, um, yeah, I've got, um, as I've got two brothers, two sisters, and they, they all, they've got a, a beautiful faith. It's incredible actually. And, um, one of the things I have to say as well, that, that, that especially mum, but, but mum and dad allowed us to kind of discover God in our way. And, uh, so while mum had like her, you know, she, she, she liked the idea that, that this is what Christianity looked like. They allowed that to happen. And so, so my, my middle brother and I, we had these deep conversations about all sorts of, you know, um, different aspects of spirituality and Christianity and, and how that all works and how it all comes together. And then my older sister, she's, she's kind of like the second mum in our life. And, and she speaks such wisdom and, and, and is, is, you know, very profound in the way that she builds that. And, and so there's, it's, it's, it's quite great to see how it all unpacks and, and how the personalities that each, each has, uh, their faith is expressed through that, that aspect mm. of their personality. Mm. 
Hey folks, I hope you're enjoying the podcast. I'm loving the response we're getting from across the world. It's, it's just wonderful to see how encouraging and inspiring it is being and hitting the spot. Listen, if you are being blessed by it, I'd love it. Basically, this happens under the auspices of our ministry, Great Lakes Outreach, which works in the poorest and the hungriest country in the world, which is Burundi. We're having an incredible impact in the toughest of circumstances. We want to carry on supporting those local folks doing a great job. So if you wanted to, greatlakesoutreach.org forward slash inspired you could make a donation there i'd so appreciate it also it's word of mouth isn't it so gossip this these podcasts to other people get them to subscribe give us a great review absolutely wonderful so grateful to you so that's greatlakesoutreach.org forward slash inspired if you want to do a monthly a couple of quid a month or or a one-off donation we'd be incredibly grateful all right now let's get back to the podcast Now, I, I'm thinking of some people will be listening and they'll be reviewing their family history. I mean, I'm reviewing my family history and I'm, I'm, I'm very grateful and I praise God that I've had a, a beautiful lineage of, of servants of God and pastors and missionaries and all sorts. Um, but lots will look back and think, oh, what a trail wreck. And I'm a product of that trail wreck. Can you speak some encouragement to their situations? Yeah, when, um, when I was asked to write the book, The Great Embrace, um, the the goal was to write 10 chapters. Uh, chapter one, my life with my dad is a mess. The Sisterage family, it's a mess. Chapter 10, it's all healed. God's amazing. Dad and me are great. And the legacy going forward is awesome. Mm. And when I wrote the book, uh, I, um, I went back to the, the publishers and said, look, I can't write that book. Mm-hmm. And they said, why? I said, because it's not true. Yeah. The reality is that, that our lives, that our stories are complicated and messy. In mm. fact, we come into the world, someone said this to me, which I thought was quite profound. We come into the world in a really messy way. And why should we expect the rest of life to be any different? Mm. And I thought that was quite a profound statement. And so what I would say to that is my life has been by no means perfect. And when I look back, as I've said, upon on the, on the legacy that is the Sisterage family, it is filled with broken marriages and it's filled with pain. It's filled with alcoholism. It's filled with all the things that you would say uh, are, are train wrecks. And the reality is, though, that we need to understand that, again, God is God and we might not understand why he's allowed us to go through pain, why we're going through pain, but God says, I want to use it for your good. And, mm-hmm. and there's a really interesting statement there, right? Your good. Work together for your good. And God is about our good. So as people are, are listening, I, I just really don't want them to walk away and think, hey, look, I've got it all together. Uh, you know, my life is grand. That's not true. I've had huge struggles since that time with, you know, COVID comes along and it, and it wipes out your whole, you know, your business plan and, and, and you've got to try and feed your own kids and pay your rent and all of that sort of stuff. Mm-hmm. And then you've got to try and find out where God is in the midst of all of that. Mm-hmm. But God is in the midst of all of that and God is about your good. And so I would just really encourage people to be kind to themselves. I think that's really important, right? To be kind to yourself in this process because Jesus is kind to us. He mm-hmm. steps into our situation and he's kind to us and he says, look, it's okay. Let's, 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 work, let's work this out together. And I guess, um, you know, I'm trying, to, I'm trying to summarize this for you in a way that kind of puts a nice sticker on it, but, but, but that actually is not true. 
mm-hmm. the misery, the rejection, the struggles, that's all part of the world that we live in. But again, I would say that if, if, if God, it was good enough for God to tell the people of Israel to look back at their past, which was a mess, there's nothing, there's, there's not a whole lot of greatness. When you look at the, the story of the Israelites, they were like a complaining and a moaning and an ungrateful and, and God gave them so much. And yet, in amongst all of that, God brings them out and they become the example to the world of what it means to be, you know, he brought Jesus through them. And so I would say to people that are listening, that are grappling with their own narrative right now, or grappling with a narrative of the past that, is, that has brought them to a place that is, that is not kind of the perfect ideal, living your best life type thing. And I would say, take a moment to, to allow God to speak into that and don't rush it. Mm. That's really important, that you just allow God to speak into it because he wants to speak love, he wants to speak hope, and he wants to speak a future into that. So know where you've come from so that you can know where you're going. And again, as I say, Simon, I'd love to put a stamp on it that says, look, here's here's which makes it all lovely. Here's the encouragement here. The encouragement is that God is, right? He is. No matter what else is going on, God is. And and he is in your situation. He is uh, over your situation. He knew your situation before you were even even in existence. Mm. And so God is there and, and he wants you to find him in that space. And if, if you can step over the line of pain and hurt and struggle into a space that says, okay, I'm going to be open here, God, to allow you to show me uh, how you want to bring healing into my life, how you want to, to, to help me see love, how you, how you want to be here, then God will speak into it. Because there's another great verse, right? The Bible says, seek and you will find. Mm. Seek and you will find. You not might find, like you don't have to be a super holy person. Just seek and you will find. So if it's hope you need, if it's love you need, if whatever it is that you are grappling with right now, the Bible says if you seek that and seek it with all your heart, you will find it. You will thrive in Christ because that's why he came, Mm. to give us hope and a future. So as I said, I'm not a theologian. I'm just another guy that's trying to grapple with the story of my life. But I do believe in all of this sometimes, and I don't want to speak ill of the church at all, but sometimes Western Christianity in in, in this modern way is is sort of boiled down Christianity into a a simple form that takes away the complexity of the the things that we grapple with. Yeah. And it's in that complexity, actually, that we find uh, the, the, the true hope that lives in God. Mm. But oftentimes church doesn't allow us to step into that space because, you know, someone said to me once, don't, don't dig too deeply to where you could lose your faith. A- actually, I'll tell you a quick story. I was living uh, in Israel um, during the time of the second intifada and, um, and, and, we were just, my wife and I were there because we wanted to just kind of serve both the, the Israelis and the Palestinians and, and just, just try and bring some, some hope and stuff. And uh, we were there for the first six months. And I remember walking uh, and I said, God, this has been a disaster. It's been horrible. Uh, it's been like the worst experience of my life. In fact, we've come, we've sold everything. We're living in this land. And <laughs> you know what? It's hopeless. I don't even think you're real anymore. And I felt God say to me, Tim, 
This is exactly where I want you to be. Now you and I can really get to know each other and we can build a relationship that is based on true relationship, not all this other stuff that you've been raised with in terms of your Christianity. Mm. And again, I think that sometimes we, we oversimplify our faith so that we, you know, like here's the steps to salvation. Here's the steps to becoming a strong Christian. Here's the steps to fill in the blank. But relationship doesn't work like that. Marriage doesn't work like that. And and if and if we if we want to, if we really want to experience the 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 true joy of knowing God in the way that we are called to know Him, we have to allow ourselves to take the risk to step into vulnerability. And that vulnerability is where hope lives, and where love lives, and where joy lives. Yes. Yes. Tim, oh, it's been a real treat, and time's run out. I just, I just thinking of the the few women in your life that, and I think, well, I think of that uh, that lady who's presumably long graduated to glory that wrote to your father repeatedly, tenaciously in in prison, and what a key role she had. And you know that might sort of spawn the idea of people listening right now. I'm going to start writing to someone in prison. Um, you know, that'd be something that'd be amazing. But God bless that precious lady, whoever she was, and then. And then, of course, your mum, I mean, we can imagine some of what she's been through, but wow, what a precious lady. And the fact that they're still together is just wonderful. And then your your uh, your wife's granny and that lovely story. And then obviously your wife must be a f- fabulous woman as well, journeying with you through all, all the stuff that you've been through. And and then you've got your kids to pass that on to. And uh, we we speak life and fruitfulness and joy and blessing and and uh, all good things over the Cicerich future generations. It, it's been such a Great, great experience just to listen to listen to you share, bro. I really appreciate it. Now, as we as we close out, you're you're the founder and CEO of globallocals.org. Is, is, you talked about Irreplaceable, the documentary, which I, I've seen. You know, that, that's well worth looking at. Well worth reading. The Great Embrace. I haven't read that yet. Um, anything else you want to plug? No, mate. I'm, I, you know what? I, I just I'm a terrible I'm a terrible salesman. All I would <laughs> say is um, go go and go and uh, one of the one book that really changed me was was Brennan Manning's writings and it just it's so simple and so look I, it's I'm going to plug that only because that had such a significant impact on me and my journey and it's just I just want people to understand that God loves you for who mm-hmm. you are not who you should be and God wants you to thrive so um, as I say terrible salesman for my stuff but uh, go read a go read a Brenna Manning book any of them they're all the same they all have the same message tied <laughs> through them but um, you know that, that's what I would encourage people to do okay so Brenna Manning uh, the ragamuffin gospel that would be one of them wouldn't it um, that's certainly impacted a lot of people and look if you folks want to be in touch with tim uh, check out globallocals.org wow um yeah it's left me with lots to ponder and uh, deep gratitude and it's inspiration so it's done what it's uh, said on the tin tim thanks so much for being with us god bless you loads bro oh mate it's been an absolute pleasure being part of your podcast fantastic well listen folks i hope you've been inspired and if you have please give us a decent review on spotify or itunes if you want to be in touch with me at simongilbert.com or the various social media platforms we'll have another fantastic guest next week uh, i want to thank adam thomas steer for the editing and for mike sandiman for the mixing and uh, we'll see you next time all right toodaloo